Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. This conversation we had just a few minutes ago with Sinn Féin's housing spokesperson, Ono Brin, on some of the shenanigans that have gone on today in the Dáil, and we just thought we'd lift the paywall immediately so you could get a flavour of it. The full conversation, including uh, myself and Martin's reaction to some of the other news of the day, is available on the Patreon feed now. So if you're a patron, why are you listening to this? You don't need to. If you're not a patron, why aren't you? Please help us keep the show on the road. We have no ads. We have no sponsors. We rely entirely on the kindness of you dear listeners and you get a ton of extras for that this week alone you've missed out on a great conversation with connor reddy from pvp and he who has set up the pwo which is the post-grad workers organization and you may have seen the video where they confronted minister raymond ryan in trinity college for some of his uh, mishandling and and uh, broken promises that since the green party have gone into government there's also a conversation with the sock dems keen o'callaghan on housing and and all things that the Sock Dems, including my, my failed leadership bid. And we had a great conversation, uh, and I don't say that lightly, with Kieran Cuff, the Green Party MEP, and why he's now seen as the far left uh, MEP in the European Parliament, which I have to say I did not see coming. Uh, all of those are available, as I said, on the Patreon feed. All we're asking you to do is click the link, join us for a month, and hell, if you don't like it, just cancel. But I'd love you to stick with us. I'll stop rabbiting on now. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Groves. I'm back twice in one day. We've managed to get Martin McMahon uh, conscious, first of all, and actually engaged. How are you keeping? Well, well see, housing's a big issue, Tony. Have to it, be. It, it is, it is. But I, I will say, we had a good chat with uh, Kieran Cuff, who surprised us by coming out as, as uh, far left and um, the leader of the, uh, what was it, the EU SSR? What is that what they were referring That's to? That's a closet try. I knew it all along, <laughs> you know. Listen, folks, check it out when, when you get it. Um, no quarter given and no punches pulled, but it was enjoyable nonetheless. Anyway, we're back so soon because uh, we're being rejoined by... Sinn Féin housing spokesperson Owen O'Brien and Owen you have been very busy all the time but very busy particularly in the last couple of weeks and there has been some developments in the last few minutes in relation to a piece of legislation that you were submitting to extend the eviction ban into 2024 you might let listeners know what has happened uh, to that to that piece of legislation in it, since we last spoke. Sure, and, and just as a quick recap, when we introduced our motion calling on the government to extend the ban on no-fault evictions last week, Leo Varadkar accused us of playing politics, he said, because it wasn't a legally binding uh, uh, piece of legislation. Uh, it showed that we weren't serious about the issue. So uh, we've been working on this piece of legislation for a while. It is an exact replica of the government's own ban on no-fault evictions uh, uh, from last October, with the dates changed to expire in the end of January, but with some additional protections right through to the middle of April for renters. Uh, and the reason why we were tabling that this evening is to give every TD a very clear opportunity. You're either for the extending of the ban or against the extending of the ban. And we were hoping that some of the independents who kind of decided to vote for the government's counter motion last week, when faced with a clear choice of for or against extending the ban, would vote with us. Um, it is ordinarily very difficult to table an amendment to legislation. There are two procedures in the Dáil, one of which I haven't ever seen used in my time here since 2016, but the government have used it. It's what's called a reason amendment. So essentially what they're doing is they're they're amending our bill uh, and the motion to read it a second time to allow the bill to progress to the next stage in the Dáil by saying that the bill should not be read because of the uh, 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 counter motion that was passed last week. It is highly irregular. 
I fully accept the Count Court is ruling on these things because in fairness to him, he allowed us to get our legislation on the order paper despite protestations from government. But the real issue here is, why is the government so scared of allowing TDs, including the independent TDs that lined up with them last week, why are they so scared of giving them a straight vote? You're either in favour of ending this ban uh, uh, on this Thursday with the consequences that will flow, very real human consequences uh, uh, for men, women and children, or you vote to extend it. So in fact, I think it's a sign that the government was nervous that their uh, artificial majority through the Ramshack. Can I come in on that and say your artificial, it's it's a big majority based on last week's vote. But I put it to Martin earlier today when we were discussing something else. I said, it's almost like a confidence and supply uh, agreement that they have with these 12 uh, independents. Uh, And I put the same thing to you. So first of all, it, 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 it's not a big uh, majority because it was only six independents. Um, because the way these work, of course, is every vote for the government is a vote away from the opposition. So actually, the government's majority was down to one, um, uh, but they got six independents, five from the regional independents uh, and Danny Healy Ray from the rural independents. So the actual government's majority is down to a single vote. They did, You're absolutely right. They, You're absolutely right. There's, there are six independents who decided to side with them. But my sense of it last week was they felt they got enough cover from the very kind of verbose but but very superficial counter motion. A straight vote on whether or not to extend the ban on no-fault evictions through legislation is a different matter. And I think the government were nervous about losing some of those. So, so, so that straight vote is just not going to take place now? Well, there would, there would be, first of all, a vote on the government's uh, what's called reasoned amendment or unreasonable amendment, in my view. Uh, uh, we'll challenge that very clearly. Uh, we'll call on the independents not to fall for this government stunt and allow the Iraqis to have a clear vote. And if they're against the extending of the ban on no-fault evictions, then vote that way. So we're going to fight, first of all, the government's amendment to the nail. It's obviously up to uh, the TDs to decide which way they vote on that. And if we can win that, then we would still have the vote on the legislation itself. So uh, we'll see how that pans out later on this evening. And then tomorrow when we have the formal recorded votes. Is it inevitable that this is going to roll on to a third chapter? Part of the problem, Martin, is the doll goes into its Easter recess on Thursday. So we break for two weeks. Um, Now, uh, we do know other opposition parties are tabling legislation in their private members' time uh, when the doll returns. We haven't made a decision about our own private members' time yet. We won't do that until the week before. Um, But look, I mean, not only are we going to get homeless figures coming out next Friday and then at the end of the next month, but you've seen the the front of of the Irish Mail today in terms of commencements of new bills for February down 5% on January and down 18% on last year. You've seen the the coverage about the land development agency. Well, we, we'll, we'll get to we'll get to that in a moment, Owen. But this, I just, this issue isn't going anywhere. So no, no, after. but but I get that. But what what I, what I would say to you though is, uh, again, you know, these are. I accept that you've said you accept the the decision of the Count Corla, and I just feel though we were here we are yet again. Like it's we feel I feel like I'm stuck in a Gav Riley uh, Twitter thread, and he's explaining he's explaining how things operate in the house and how you know what we would call representative democracy functions, and sometimes it's a dysfunction on, and people from the outside won't maybe get get that because the idea now is that essentially we wanted people 
and I mean this personally, I wanted people on the record to say which side they sat on in relation to this issue. And that is essentially what your piece of legislation wanted to do. Um, and now we're not going to have that. So so it does... Well, it, it's not... We, we, we still have a chance here, and this is very important for people to understand. There will be, first of all, a vote on the government's so-called reasoned amendment. Um, and people don't have to vote for that. I mean, people can reject the government's amendment and still vote against our legislation if they want to make it crystal clear where they stand. And I would be appealing particularly to the six independents that sided with government last week. If you're against the extension of the ban, then vote against the government's amendment and then have the courage of your convictions to let people know you're voting against our bill. Don't hide behind Leo Varadkar's uh, uh, stunt here. Government are running scared, uh, but... Uh, to the independents, be true to your convictions and stand up and be counted. That's what I'll be saying to them when the debate happens in a couple of hours' time. I think that's a, a very admirable sentiment, Owen. Very admirable. But it's the independents who are genetically Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Um, you're appealing to something that doesn't exist within them. You know, um, what's the chances? Look, uh, again, with, with some of the individuals we're talking about, you never know how they're going to vote. Um, and therefore, while some of them are, as you say, gene pool, particularly Finnegale gene pool independence, others aren't, and they have voted against the government on other issues previously. Uh, obviously, look, we don't just want them to vote against New Veronica stopped. We want them to vote for our legislation. And I'm hoping some of those independents were in their constituencies over the weekend, were talking to their constituency advice workers, were talking to people who have eviction notices that are going to fall due in the coming weeks and might reconsider their position Ultimately, all we can do is try people oh, to stand up and be counted on the, on the floor of the door after that. In your constituency, on what kind of feedback are you get? I mean, it must be generally across the board for everybody in the dock. What is it this occupying 90% of your time? Yeah, so in fact, I, I did a very big training session uh, for about 50 of our folks who work on the front line in the constituency offices on Friday. It was a kind of a two-hour training session just on... What what are you what are you going to do and what does the law say in terms of of the increase in notices? There has been a marked increase. Um, that's already been coming for the last while. And the problem is is like we do still have some emergency accommodation in South Dublin County Council, so that is still an option for those people where those people feel it's appropriate. But in many cases, what's going to happen is either people won't uh, feel emergency accommodation is appropriate for them or their special needs child or, or, or the, for example, the woman I'm dealing with in Kandokan Village at the moment who's over 70 years of age and on her own and there's no way in hell she can go into a low threshold communal hostel in the city centre. No harm to any of the other people that are in uh, uh, that emergency accommodation. Uh, I do think you're going to see a very significant increase in overholding, not mm. because people want to overhold, but because they literally have no choice and what I'm hearing right across the constituency offices, certainly from our folks, is there has already been a steady increase uh, and that is going to accelerate over the coming weeks and months. It's important for us not to overplay this. Notices to quit. Eviction notices do take some time to work through the system and not everybody presents in the first instance for emergency accommodation. They stay with family and friends. No, no, Mar Martin, Martin's been great on this and I, I rarely give him any credit, as you know, but he's been very good about talking about the cynicism on this, of knowing that, so for example, every December we see homeless figures come down because families take in people, they they they, they open their hearts and, and couches as much as they can. We are, we're The government are relying on that as well. It's quite it's a, a... It's a very cynical ploy on. Very cynical. Be, be, be very clear when the emergency accommodation is full the only information we'll get every month is emergency accommodation is at x point 
all of those other people that then are forced, for example, to sofa surf or forced to move in with family and friends, those who effect effectively they, they will disappear. They will disappear for the system. And that will begin on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Uh, and the real worry is, is that those people will be completely forgotten because in the worst case scenario, it's the folks who end up sleeping rough or in emergency accommodation. That but, is without doubt the worst. But well, we, we all will be affected by this mm-hmm. and they won't be visible, certainly That's to right. the public arena and the political That's arena. Right. NASC have already said this. I think it's 400 people currently. Um, migrants have been let down by our international obligations under 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 the seeking people, person seeking asylum laws have been fo- forced to sleep rough. We know this. As you quite rightly put out, uh, just explained there, Ireland is an outlier. You know, if you're couch surfing, if you're in in uh, overcrowded accommodation in most main EU countries, you're you're included in the homeless figures. We've managed to cut them to such a way as that unless you kind of and I hate to be so blunt about it, but unless you show up at Park Gate Street and pre- present yourself, you don't you don't really count. So um, it's it's actually worse than that. So we only count in the official homelessness figures those people in emergency accommodation yeah. funded by the Department of Housing. There's also emergency accommodation funded by the Department of Children for women and children fleeing domestic violence. Yeah. There's over 5,000 men, women and children trapped in direct provision who have their legal right to remain and are using DP as a form of emergency accommodation. And then there's a couple of hundred individuals um, who are in uh, hostels not funded by the state. Mm. You add all of those categories together, you get a figure of about 18,000. And that's before we talk about folks who are forced to sofa surf or mm. they've overcrowded in family family homes. So the number obviously is substantially bigger. We've known that for a long time, mm. but government won't even count all of those people in government-funded emergency accommodation. One, one, quick, one, 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 quick, one quick thing on it, it's a digression, but it's important because obviously at the weekend, uh, Ivana Bacic talked about a million new homes. Um, we we saw the, 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 the ideas. Now, again, Spent much of our time taking shots, I believe, in terms of uh, aiming at Sinn Féin. But much of this current rental crisis, specific to rental, is because we have a rental system whereby someone decided that HAP was social housing. And that person was Alan Kelly in 2014. And now that's the the truth of this is, and this is not me trying to give you road to to bash Labour with, but when you're sitting there listening to a million houses, do, do, do you feel like that, well, you know, is that a party that you could you could work with, given that, that that's what's gone gone on in the near, in the recent past and that you understand what they're promising now? Well, first of all, the reason why we have a crisis in the private rental sector is in part because uh, for three decades, government haven't delivered a sufficient volume of social homes. And a third of all private rental tenancies are people who should be in social housing subsidised through HAP rising and supplements. So... This isn't just about the Fine Gael Labour government, although I think your point is well made. It's three decades in the making. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Um, Alan Kelly and Jan O'Sullivan was the junior minister with responsibility for housing when Alan uh, had responsibility for, for, or sorry, should I say, that Hogan was the senior minister for, for environment and Jan O'Sullivan was the junior minister for housing when the HAP legislation was introduced. And that added HAP to the 20, 2009 definition of social housing, which included the rental accommodation scheme. Uh, and that's part of our problem. It's also part of our problem that we still allow sale of properties as a grounds for issuing a notice to quit, something that no sane or stable private rental system should allow. Um, and again, that accounts for 60% of the notices. And look, I mean, I was exceptionally critical, as was Desi Ellis, my predecessor in this role, uh, of both John O'Sullivan and Anna Kelly, precisely for those issues. They continue to rely, over-rely on the private rental sector. 
Well, what I'd say about Ivana's speech at the weekend is, is first of all, I, I don't know what the million figure means and where it comes from. Ivana was actually subjected to some pretty fair questioning by Gavin Riley to explain there aren't half a million vacant homes in the state. So if you're saying there's going to be half a million new builds and half a million vacants, what do you mean? And she couldn't answer the question. And then he was saying, well, are they refurbished vacants brought back into use or are some of them occupied or under-occupied? And she kind of fumbled around. So I suspect what went on with that figure is they were looking for a big announcement. There, there's a little bit of concern, as I'm sure you know, in the Labour Party around what's happening with the Sock Dems and with Sinn Féin. And they were looking for a big number. I'm strongly of the view that we have to stop politicians at setting out how many homes are needed and how many homes can be delivered. Well, well hang on, Owen. Hang on, let me, have, you, have you not got on the record say that you yourself me, are a populist, me, a populist let, of the left? Let, let me make this point, because I've been making this point for several years. The last two governments, the current government and the previous government, invented numbers for housing uh, need. We need an independent process whereby, and it's now been done by the Housing Commission, where people who uh, have no political bias look, first of all, and say, what is the total need currently, including social need, affordable need, etc.? They publish that in an evidence-based transparent form to say, that is the need now. And then they're tasked with updating that every year. The Housing Agency's report, uh, we only know the headlines from it, from the leaks to the Irish Times last month. They're estimating that somewhere between 40 and 60,000 new homes are going to be required every year. What I'd like to see is that report published. And then I'd like to see an independent body updated every year. That will tell us objectively what is needed. Why is that figure not in the current government's housing plan? Because the ESRI, when they were asked to do the study underpinning this government's plan, were not allowed to look at pent-up demand, pent-up need for social affordable housing. That was excluded. It was a political manipulation by government and the Department of Housing. So rather than speechwriters or indeed opposition spokespeople picking numbers uh, uh, from a hat, let's have independent objective analysis of the need Let's publish it so it can be rigorously scrutinised and then let's update it annually. I suspect when we get that data from the housing agency, you'd really be looking at an annual requirement of 50,000 homes and within that, a defined number of social and affordable. So this idea of 100,000 homes, half new bills, half refurbs, maybe vacant. I get it, but I just think, I do say, you, I think you went on the record yourself and, and described yourself as a populist of the left when you spoke with Aidan Regan nearly two years ago now at this stage. Um, so, so you know, we can, we can all, uh, again, I don't well, know. Before Tony. But let me, can I say this though, just before you come in, Mark, be, be very clear and, and that conversation with Aidan was, was, was one I, I enjoyed thoroughly. Uh, that conversation wasn't about targets. It wasn't about promises. That was about political strategies. Absolutely. And that was about how progressive political parties like ours, like Corbyn tried to do before us or others, find a way of organizing, mobilizing all of those disparate groups of people who are left behind by the status quo and mobilizing them as a political subject, the people to deliver change. That's, I, I, that's, not, I, that's, that's something completely different. Allow me to answer that. Let me, let me but before, you, before you do, let me finish my point. That's something completely different to a politician, whether it's a Labour politician or a Fianna Fáil politician, plucking numbers out of thin air, yes. two love on one side, or to understand on the other. Let's have objective analysis informing public policy. Uh, that's something I've always advocated. Well, from my, from my point of view, I, I accept what I think of. I don't think of populism in the same way as the people who has tried to associate it to the likes of Donald Trump or Boris Johnson, these people, I think of it from its from where the, where it comes from, the Populist Party in the US, where where it became, it was born out of the rentier class needing 
something to actually to, so it wasn't necessarily this this idea of, of that so anyway nonetheless I just thought it was it's an interesting point Martin I know you want to be before, before Tony comes in on the uh, and on the LDA which I think you must I want to talk I want to talk a little bit yeah um, I would like to say the last time we spoke on, we spoke about Airbnb and that there was no, there's no real attempt to tackle Airbnb. Numbers released today show 16,000, 16,000 full homes are let on Airbnb. This seems to be such low hanging fruit. I simply cannot understand why nobody's reaching for it. And, and the frustrating thing is, is as I said to you the last day, we tabled legislation to tackle this, which would have placed a fine uh, on online platforms like Airbnb for every day and every property that they advertise that isn't compliant with the planning laws. Now, as you know, the government has a general scheme. Uh, and the bad news, I think, since we spoke last week is the European Commission has intervened. That's right. Uh, to say uh, that that legislation of the government's to set up a, a false Ireland register can't proceed. I'd like to know exactly what the government said in its correspondence with the Commission. I raised this with the press last week uh, because I'm not satisfied that government uh, is just going to sit on its hands and wait for the European Commission to decide what it's going to do with short-term letting. Housing and the regulation of the private rental sector is a competence of the member state, not of the European Commission. It's a sovereign sovereign effect. And the quickest way to do this is very simple. Airbnb makes a sum of money Every night, a property that's advertised on its website is let out. If it is hit with a spot fine of that amount of money plus a penalty premium for every night for every property, overnight that will clean up the industry. There are uh, maybe 95% of the short-term lets rent pressure zones that are currently advertised are breaking the law. They do not have planning permission. They do not have the appropriate exemption. Government knows this. We tabled the legislation last year. As it happened, government didn't oppose the legislation, but they came up with this register thing. Now they're not progressing that. Uh, and it's an issue we'll continue to raise. If, if, if you were if, concerned about it. If you transferred it out of housing and you put it somewhere like vehicles and you said there's 60,000 vehicles on the road and they don't have an NCT, I mean, the government would jump up and down. Yeah. I, I simply couldn't <clears throat> fathom this. I don't understand it. And I, I, I really can't understand it. And one of the frustrating things is when Owen Murphy introduced those uh, regulations and legislation back in 2019, we told him relying on the planning enforcement system wouldn't work because it's so cumbersome and you have the seven-year statute of limitations. We urged him back then to apply the penalty uh, on the platforms and the estate agents who advertise non-compliant properties. It's the simplest way. It's the quickest way. It should be done and it should be done now. Own just very look. We've we've gone well over time, and I know you've to get get back into the doll. But very quickly, uh, twenty eighteen, the uh, LDA uh, was was launched, and it was it was hailed by Leo Varadkar as a game changer. In one of my I talk, I think I'm very very funny moments. I I decided to stop calling it. Do you remember this, Martin? I did a big thread. Exactly. There are still few of those, Martin. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I decided that we won't call it the LDA. We'd call it Llama. Do you remember the T-shirt time had posed with a Llama? And I said, we'd call it Leo's Land Asset Management Agency. And I thought this was great. So I went back and looked at the thread where I said he was, where he'd promised into the thousands and then the tens of thousands that would be, you know, and shovel-ready projects. And and, I, and I'd gone through all of the stats. And of course, I'd better people than me I'd, I'd, I'd taken information from other other individuals to, to put together this thread and I estimated that they'd be building by 2020 in the ten, tens and they were saying in the thousands we find out today that we're at the zeros by 2023 on 
What's the hell is going on? When the LDA was launched, the promise was 150,000 new homes over 20 years, um, 60% of which would, of course, be an open market private sale because they were going to use the, the market value of public land to leverage in private sector development. Uh, a lot has changed in the interim, uh, which is is after the election, this government substantially changed the land development agency legislation, uh, although they didn't fix the fundamental problems. So that, that original Fine Gael model of essentially giving the private sector 60% of the land for them to invest in the 100% of the homes was ditched. The targets for the LDA were then changed. So they were talking about maybe 5,000 new built homes uh, over a period of time. Then they got this project totally thing to buy another 5,000. The, the, the difficulty is even on those more modest targets, so it's no longer 150,000 over 20 years, it's about 10,000 over five to seven years. They're not going to deliver either of those targets. Their, their first new build, Shangana Castle, it won't be completed until the year after next. Some of the homes might be ready in the latter end of last year. Tried to leave Shangana Castle and Dunley right down. That was actually approved by the elected members unanimously in 2016 and 2017. Simon Coney was asked, by Fine Gael, no less, Maria Bailey, to give the money to the council to develop that as a site. If Simon Coveney had listened to Maria Bailey in her wisdom and all of the other councillors, including Sinn Féin, Sinn O'Brien and Donira down at the time, that would be built and fully tenanted. Likewise with Project Tussie, the LDA is going around buying third key developments, competing with AHBs and first-time buyers. It is paying over the odds for the likes of Cairn Developments properties down in Delgany, and they're charging 14 and 1500 euros a month for standard two and three bed properties. That is not affordable cost rental. It's a bastardization of the idea, and that's putting it politely. Oh, no, 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 hang on. And, I've, I've and, put that to the minister and he told me I was wrong. And the problem is, is that <clears throat> the LDA should not be building homes. We desperately need in this state a powerful active land management agency that does one thing and one thing only, assembles and activates land. And then it passes it on to the appropriate state agency to deliver, for example, housing, local authorities and approved housing bodies. The crazy thing about today's report, and actually the report is very useful. It should have been produced four years ago, but it's very useful because it makes it clear, and the LDA are explicit about this, they do not have the power to compel the owners of this public land to let them deliver homes on it. Why? Because one of the things Darrell O'Brien did not fix in the legislation was the LDA has no comprehensive compulsory purchase order powers. So if it rocks up to CIE, this is a fundamental point about today's report that we shouldn't lose. The Donnybrook bus station and the Pier Street bus station and the Cunningham Road bus station and the NC Corps chassis works are all there. They should all be mixed-use residential, community and commercial developments. But unless the LDA, and in my view, uh, I would change its name to an active land management agency, has CPO powers to compel them to the table to bring the land on site, they will never be able to do it. Why can't the LDA have CPO powers? Because if you also ask them to be a residential developer, they are potentially in competition with Cairn and Glenvey uh, and Michael O'Flynn, and they will take the LDA to the European Court of Justice for breach of state aid rules. Simple solution, have the LDA manage and acquire land for public housing and other uses. Let councils, AHBs and others deliver the homes. That's originally what NESC wanted not another residential developer like in the Netherlands and other countries, an active land management agency. That's what we need. And today's report confirms that's what it should be doing, not buying homes for Cairn and renting them out to poor punters for 1,500 euros a month. Okay, accepting that last thing on this, uh, before before we let you go, uh, we spoke to Keno Callahan yesterday on, on much of this. And one of the statistics he revealed when I was having the conversation is 
the lack of apprenticeships taking place in the, in the construction industry where they actually fell in 2022. Own, what are Sinn Féin thinking? How are, how are you going to get get to a position where we actually have the bodies to deliver this 50,000 homes that you're saying we need? How are you going to change that? Because this is, you know, we mean you control numbers at a wall, but without having people to actually make plaster that wall and put lay the bricks, we're getting nowhere. So the first thing, and it's important to stress, there is capacity within the construction sector to build more than the 29,000 homes last year. Some of that is about redirecting existing labour away from things we don't need, like apart hotels, co-living, et cetera, mm-hmm. and data centres, uh, into the kinds of construction activity we want, and that's by changes to tax rates. Some of it is also, by the way, and it's Martin's uh, subject close to his heart, one of the reasons why we can't get young men and women into construction is because it's insecure, poorly paid, uh, and they have no long-term job security or career progression. Ending bogus subcontracting is really key. And then the other thing is we need to completely change the way in which we think about uh, uh, encouraging young people to get involved, not just in traditional construction uh, trades, but others. It needs to be taught in schools. We need to significantly ramp up the quality of the education available in partnership with the apprenticeship programs themselves. We need to pay some of these apprentices much better than they're getting paid as they're going through the education. And then crucially, new building technologies are going to be key to this. Increasingly, young people don't want a profession where they're in Dublin for five days this week out in the rain, Cork five days next week out in the rain. You can put a lot of this stuff indoors, in proximity to where people live, in better paid, much better conditioned new building technology manufacturing of homes. That's what they're doing in in, in uh, Poland. That's what they're doing in France. That's what they're doing in Britain. So there's a range of policy measures myself and Louise O'Reilly, my colleague, uh, and Rose Conway-Welch are arguing for, but more social and affordable homes can be built now with the existing workforce. And if we pay construction workers properly and give them long-term security of employment, that will help attract some of the people who've left back in but the new building really. technologies into the future of the key. Not only will it help, you will build a bank of people who are super skilled at retrofitting, at developing green properties. They will Their services will be wanted all over the world. But we have them trained by us, employed by us, employed by the state. I mean, it's a no-brainer. And just my last word on the old apprenticeship thing, I've come across an apprenticeship who was told he was a self-employed apprentice. So when your system is that dysfunctional, it's never going to work. And I've reported that and nobody cares. Nobody gives a damn a self-employed apprentice. But here's the crucial thing. Cycle, walk or drive up Cork Street, right? No shortage of stuff built down the last five years, just not what we require in our city, which is good quality, affordable homes, both for working people and also for students, because a lot of Cork Street is student accommodation, but high-end and inaccessible for many students. So it's about using the workforce that we have to build the stuff we need, valuing uh, uh, and properly rewarding the workforce to do do the job we're giving them, and then improve the training from second through third level through lifelong career progression, and ultimately getting as many construction sector jobs off-site, indoors, um, uh, using those new building technologies, because the value of that is not only does it provide better quality employment for workers if they're on good quality PAY contracts, it has lower carbon, it can be done more quickly, and when done at scale, it can also be done in a more cost-effective way. And just so it's the a win-win ans- across the board. The ancillary stuff, like accountability for defects in buildings. So I mean, all the ancillary stuff gets built. No point going on about it. Oh, it's my bugbear. 
Thank you very much for coming on here and having this conversation with us on. I know you have to rush off for a vote there, but thank you for having this conversation. Thanks, Alan. Really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for this, folks. Myself and Martin are going to hang on. We're going to have a quick conversation. But again, uh, I, I think this there is no bigger issue at the moment than housing. And in fairness, it's 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 even if some of this and I, it can get a bit down, you feel like you know it's not getting there. But even some of the losses have been wins when you consider how far some of the changes have been. This government have been dragged towards. So thanks again, Owen, and we we will we will talk to you very very soon. For non-patrons, we were going to leave it there. And for the rest of you, please hang on, because myself and Martin want to have a cut at a few of the things that have been happening more. Look, he's smiling already. Thanks for listening, folks. we let you all go, and we will kick off now. Martin. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony, speaking to interesting people only. It's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.